Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, and oh, I was going to ask you, did you see that tweet from Clemson's official football account talking about how, No. oh, it was beautiful because they were talking about the strength of schedule and they said, yeah, every team that Clemson has played this year was 500 or better when they played them, which includes Georgia Tech oh. because Georgia Tech, it was <laughs> oh, the first God. game of the year. And I'm like, really, bro, you're going to lean on a Georgia Tech 0-0 uh, schedule or a record in the opener as like boosting you up? Come on. Hey, man, they hadn't lost. They hadn't. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, they were 500 or better. I'm like, like, come on. Like, the. I mean, I was born at night, but not last night, Clemson. Like, come on. <laughs> hey, you know what? The math checks out. Really? <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I am Lauren Brownlow. We are going to break down uh pretty busy week 11 in terms of some interesting games nothing too too high profile but some games that kind of intrigue me including a game involving uh a team that the guest i have on with me cam underwood from state of the u pays pretty close attention to uh sneakily miami at louisville is is a or louisville at miami rather is a super intriguing game for me right now considering louisville sitting at five and three miami at five and four those are teams for various reasons i think earlier in the season and we all sort of rode off and and now um uh have to be feeling pretty good about about where they're sitting right now, especially Miami. Uh, first of all, Cam, hey, thanks for coming on with me. Hey, thanks for having me. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah, and I mean, look, the, Florida State. Uh, it, it, are you guys a little bit okay? I don't. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I'm sure you're just happy to beat Florida State, especially by as much as as much as you did. But like. Is there a little bit of sentiment of like, okay, like we get y'all fire Willie Taggart, but like nobody's paying any attention to what we did? I mean, <clears throat> there's a little bit of that. Um, but there's also, you know, just the defense for Miami was so dominant last week that there is that conversation. Uh, you know, Greg Russo was ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week, the Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week. Um, and everybody is trumpeting the stats. Well, not trumpeting, but, you know, talking about it. The last two years against Miami have been the two lowest total yardage outputs by Florida State in program history. Oh, man. So that's 200 total yards uh, in 2018, 203 uh, yards this past year. So there is like still the conversation about what Miami did. Um, and, you know, it, it's a little bit of a different game because we did uh, were able to hit some throws uh, and take it over the top to really, you know, change the scoreboard and things like that. Um but yeah, the big story is more of what the fallout has been for Florida State than what Miami did. And I think it would be different if Miami wouldn't have dropped these games early in the year that we should not have lost. And if it's a seven and two Miami team instead of five and four, I think more of the conversation would still be about the Canes. But you know. now that's a really good po- that's a really good point. Miami is not. Miami's certainly not far off from having, like you said, like about a seven and two record or so. If I had told you um, 
you know, after the first few weeks of the season that Miami only allowed, what is it, like four sacks against Pitt's defense was leading the nation in sacks when y'all played them. And then uh, Florida State, too. Would you have believed me? Absolutely not. I mean, especially after the Florida game. I mean, <clears throat> that was the uh the conversation during week one, because remember, we played week zero. So you had two full weeks to talk about the failings of the offensive line that gave up 10 sacks in the opener. No, there's no way I would have believed you that Pittsburgh, who was averaging five sacks a game, would have two. And Florida State would only have one or two uh, with just their, even if they're not necessarily that good, they're talented still. Um, You know, I I would not have believed that at all. you know, but there's a lot of things that have gone on this season that I would not necessarily have believed either heading into the year or early. So, you know, it's a interesting kind of case study as the season's gone on. For what me. are they doing? Like, are they doing something schematically that the, that's like allowing their quarterbacks to not die or like what's what's going <laughs> nah, on? Well, there, there has been a little bit of, of scheme there. So you're leaving your tight ends in to chip a little bit more. Obviously, the uh, running backs in blitz pickup and just pass pro in general uh, have been really, really good. DJ Dallas, that is one of his strongest suits of his game that people don't talk about uh, because, you know, he was a multifaceted athlete who played quarterback in pretty much every position in the world uh, in high school. But, I mean, if you even just watch this last game against Florida State, there's Janarius Robinson, who's a defensive end in like 6'5", 270, and he has a free run on one play. And DJ Dallas steps up and stones him cold. And, I mean, that has just been such a big addition, obviously, with the way that the running backs are blocking. And the offensive line is just growing up. You know, Butch Berry, the offensive line coach, worked with Dan Enos at Central Michigan, and he was an assistant OL coach in the NFL with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for years. So he knows what he's doing. It's just taking some time. And all of the guys that were just being a turnstile early in the year, Zion Nelson, your two-star recruit formerly, who's the starting left tackle. You know, you switch up the, you know, all these. And the, it was tough for Zion Nelson just because he was a little bit out of his depth early in the year. But if you watch him now, he's playing a lot better. So it's a little bit of scheme and a lot of just player development. And just look, you guys have to do and be better if this team is going to be successful. And they are doing and we being better. We had a brief exchange at one point because like on this podcast, if anybody's listened to this podcast throughout the whole run of it, y'all know I'm, I was a big fan of Jaron Williams and like what he's shown even from game one, just a little bit of like, I, I, I hesitate to use the word spunk, moxie, a little bit, just a little bit something. There's swag. a little bit, some, yeah, some swag, some confidence. There's just a little bit of something about him, and you have to have something if you're getting hit as often as he was, especially earlier in the year, and sort of bouncing back and making plays. And um, are, are you coming around on him? Where where are you sort of at in the way? Jaren's I think that been he's been playing well. I think that when he's come back in this last couple of games, that he's healthy. And I think if you look back at the previous games when he struggled, he was not healthy. And I think the video, uh, you know, and what we saw kind of bears that out to be true. I know that Miami was kind of slow playing that and not necessarily mentioning that and things. But, like, you cannot look at Jaron Williams now and then look at Jaron Williams like against Virginia Tech or the game before that and think that they're the same player because this current one is healthy and that previous one was not. Um, And I think that that's a big thing. Everybody who's, you know, Red State of the U or followed me on the variety of podcasts that I guest host on or our guest star on uh, knows that since we started recruiting him as a junior, I've been the president of the Nicosi Perry fan club. Um, just absolutely. I, I really think that he's a special talent, um, but his play has been inconsistent uh, in a way where we see some of the highs, but all of the lows uh, with him. And, you know, 
it's it's tough to continue to play a player like that, you know, and if I was uh, as loud as I was saying that Malik Rozier should have been playing, then I have to be equally as loud and saying that Nicosi Perry after that game at Pittsburgh needs to not play. Um, and, you know, so that's that's true. But then Jaron Williams has stepped up, man. You know, he hit these throws last week. The the touchdowns over the top to Jeff Thomas and D Wiggins. There's another really good throw to um, Mike Harley up the left sideline. That might be his best throw of the year. Um you know, he's a very, very talented guy and he's really playing well. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely here for it. Um, like I said, it's not necessarily my personal favorite thing just because I am such a Nikosi Perry fan, but I'm more a fan of winning for this program. So whether it's Nikosi, Jaron, Tate Martell, my little left-handed cousin, I don't care uh, <laughs> if we're winning games, we're good. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, what, I guess looking at this game, Louisville obviously, Every game they win and look competent in, I love because it's just a shot across the bow of Bobby Petrino. Um, and it's wonderful. <laughs> and, but, but they still have some limitations, obviously. Their defense isn't great statistically. And, and the, you know, the offense has sort of been finding its way. I, I guess what, what sort of concerns you about them coming in? Just the fact that they score points and like, yeah. Lots of points. So I know that people are listening saying, oh, well, Cameron, like everybody scores points. No, 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 no. Not like Louisville does. You know what I mean? Like, I (laughs) mean, they put they hung, what, 62 on week. Yes. Like, that's not a little bit. Again, that's against a good team that's, you know, they could be, you know, the second or probably are the second best team in the ACC overall. And Louisville hung 62 on them, like pretty easily, actually, because I watched that game. So. The fact that they have a facility for scoring points, it gives me great pause. Now, I know that Miami's defense is the better unit, like between Miami's offense and defense, but you still have to, you're going to have to score points to beat them. And I mean, like in the 30s and things like that, which even for Miami is not necessarily uh, an easy task this year against teams that are not necessarily as talented as Miami is. So you cannot have these games like against Florida State, for example. Miami had a 0% success rate in the third quarter. They had four drives. Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, standard downs, passing downs, any downs, 0% success rate. And if you look that up, basically, uh, you have to get half of the yardage on first down or all of the yardage on third down to meet your uh, success rate numbers. 0% on 19 snaps in the third quarter. and I'm sorry, on 14 snaps. And they had 19 total yards of offense in the third quarter. Now, they got the ball on the 50-yard line, the Florida State 47, the Florida State 46, and the Miami 27 in that quarter. So you're – Oh, God. Exactly. And you have zero points (laughs) and zero success rate. Yeah. And you still hung up 27. Now, this is why I say that the win against Florida State could have been a larger margin if that third quarter didn't tank so bad. But if you have a quarter or a segment of the game that tanks that badly against Louisville and they're still going to score points – you could be in major trouble. So that's where this offense needing to click, needing to put points on the board, sevens, not threes. And we are, everybody knows that Miami's kicking situation is, um, Oh my God. Great. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the, the fact that Miami is going to have to change the scoreboard and put up crooked numbers. That's the thing that most, um, gives me concern going into this. Yeah, week. no, I hear you. I, I Bubba backs him in. I don't understand. I don't know what happened to him. He like had a, a like a an Aguayo situation, I guess. I don't I don't know. I don't know what happened to that dude. I mean, look, he has a strong leg. He had a strong leg in high school, but he still only hit 40 percent of his field goals as a senior. Now, in high school, I mean, but he can hit from 60 because he can kick the ball out of the stadium. So last year, 
as a freshman, he hit eight out of 12 and people were saying, oh, that's really good. Yeah. But then when you look like a little bit below the numbers in the last half of the season, Miami elected not to kick field goals in many places like, you know, 35, 37 yard field goals where you normally would kick. Why? Because they didn't trust him. Yeah. Then that fell apart. Turner Davidson had one glorious game against Virginia. McKicken, they were calling him. Then he missed one. Uh, And then now Camden Price, the other walk on uh, kicker seems to have rested that job away. So uh, Camden Price seems to be the consistent guy in the kicking game, but still you're one bad kick away from it really being another issue. Yeah. yeah. That's another reason for seven and not three too. Yeah. You're right about that. Um, Well, I I normally like to go chronologically, but I did want to hit that game first, but then that gets us to uh, the 12 o'clock perfect for a noon game, even though it's the red bandana game, uh, which I'm sure Boston college doesn't love, but it is what it is. Oh, no. They put that at noon? Yeah. I know. I know. It's kind of a shame. Um, But, you know, this does feel like a noon game. It has noon written all over it. Florida State at Boston College. Um, Looks like that could lock up bowl eligibility for BC and save save Steve Adazio's job yet again, which... You know, it's just it's following it's following the script really of a Boston College season with uh, lots of head scratching disappointment with just enough wins mixed in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Florida State team we're going to see. I, I know they're really fond of uh, the interim coach Odell Haggins, but like this is a lot to ask of them. I think in this spot, even against a Boston College defense that's kind of mediocre, because they, like you said, it's similar a little bit to the Miami situation in that they're going to have to score points, and they haven't been able to reliably do that uh, to keep up with BC's offense. Right, and I don't think that they're going to be able to stop the run. I know that they were able to contain it uh, for the large part of the Miami game, except for a couple of big uh, conversions, and like there was that short touchdown run that DJ Dallas had, but you know, when you got two tanks in the backfield, like Boston College oh, has, man. I mean, they got two <laughs> running backs and like, what's the aggregate weight total of them? Like 500. Like <laughs> I was going to say 500 and something. <laughs> Five something. Yeah. I, I think David Bailey is like 250, 260. And then AJ I mean, yeah, like 250. So you have two running like backs, so, yeah. so, you know, going over 500 uh, pounds between the two of them. I mean, just legs like tree trunks. You're not going to stop them. You know, and Florida State's run defense has been actually pretty bad. And then actually, as we're recording this, I just saw uh, breaking news that Marvin Wilson for Florida State is going to be out for the year with a hand injury. Oh, no. Yeah, I just saw that come down Twitter uh, as we've been talking. So uh, your best interior lineman now is gone for the year to go with uh, Joshua Kando, who's already been out for the year with a knee injury. Yeah, it's going to be a sad day, I think, for them. Uh, And it's the red bandana game. And unfortunately, a couple of years ago, or was it last year up at BC? I forget. But recently, Miami uh, was on the bad side of that uh, red bandana game uh, up there. And if you don't know what that is, uh, you can look that up. One of their former players, uh, he passed away at the Towers in 9-11. Um, so they wear his iconic red bandana. It's like a rallying cry for the whole university kind of a thing. And, yeah, I think Boston College is going to win pretty easily. I think that the the Miami loss for Florida State was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, for sure. And then they've been dealing with the Willie Taggart fallout all week. And I'm sure, you know, it, that's hard to sort of just reset your brain and, and, and go into that situation and, and try to tackle those dudes. They, there might be some business decisions being made by, by some of Florida State's defensive players. Like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> Look, they, they made the, uh, 
a couple business decisions last week against DJ Dallas. And that was highlighted like on the touchdown run. Yeah. Hakeem Dent, who's a five star All-American uh, recruit. He's a true freshman. You know, he's in position to come down and run support and tackle DJ Dallas, who at 220 pounds, you know, is good size, but he still gives up 30 or 35 pounds to these uh, Boston College backs. And Akeem Dent ushered him nicely and comfortably into the end zone. I mean, he just he literally just watched him go. He's like, yeah, I, I don't want those problems. And I'm like, dude, so you're not you're going to go up against two dudes who are bigger than that going downhill all day. Nah, yeah, because I was trying to talk myself into it a little bit. I'm like, oh, Boston College isn't great. You know, Florida State might get up for this. But yeah, just looking at the matchups and the way it all goes, I, I, it's hard to imagine uh, this going well. I, right. I think if last week's game against Miami for Florida State was closer and Willie Taggart hadn't lost his job, like there's a kind of sense of, okay, we're going to rally around for coach and everything. And we're going to put all this into our head guy. They've already taken that away because they fired that man. Like it, yeah. Boston college. Yeah. That's (laughs) Boston college still lost to Kansas though. I just haven't been able to let that go. I I can't, I just can't. Well, yeah. I mean, but that was like a perfect, the perfect game for Kansas. I I did not see that one coming either. God, I just, (laughs) Oh, BC. it, It does sort of, it does sort of stake it, it it reinforces my belief that outside of maybe Georgia Tech, which we're about to get to, and uh Clemson obviously on the other side, like the rest of the league is essentially just one big jumbled mess and you don't really know <laughs> uh what's gonna happen week to week because it makes no sense and is stupid. Um <laughs> it, it it does not make sense and it is stupid, and I am duty bound by obligation to let you know that Miami lost to Georgia Tech this year. So yeah. 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 Oh, I remember and with one one red zone yeah. trip for the Yellow Jackets. That's um, that's really something. And they and they did not convert said red jo- red zone trip. Like that's pretty that's pretty hard to do. And we but. did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Miami has really been on a roller coaster this season. I'll tell you. Uh, and usually the kind that makes you want to throw up. Although lately, not so much. Um, so that's good for them. But <laughs> twelve thirty, noon thirty, ACC Network Extra. Georgia Tech goes to Virginia. Um, yeah, this game may- intrigued me slightly more and slightly being completely relative here. Uh, like before before the Carolina-Virginia game, um, when it seems like Virginia certain- suddenly has like, gotten its offense figured out at this point. Like all year long, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Like, okay, you got to do something offensively. You can't waste Bryce Perkins' entire you know, but it seems like they've figured something out. Maybe that was just North Carolina and what they were seeing with their secondary, having some guys banged up, some guys coming back into the lineup, wanting to exploit uh, some of that. But it was like they were finally figuring out, oh, if we work a quick passing game here, that might be beneficial to us since our offensive line is. Wow, perfect. who knew? That's crazy. You know, yeah, but it's it's one of those things. And I mean. I have not been high on Georgia Tech all year. And like I said, it took a yeoman's effort to, uh, uh, yeah. you know, steal <laughs> defeat from the hands of victory for my Miami Hurricanes when uh, Georgia Tech came down here. But, uh, yeah, I really think that, you know, Virginia is one of the better teams in the Coastal Division, uh, even though, you know, so it's weird for me because the bad team, Georgia Tech, beat Miami and the good team, Virginia, lost to Miami. Who knows? But anyway, uh, I think that the good team is going to beat the bad team here in Virginia. Yeah, they, you know, are on a little bit of a run. They scored a billion points last week against uh, North Carolina. 
North Carolina, and uh, I don't think it's going to be that kind of uh, game where they're going to turn the ball over a lot and things like that. They just ha- have too many athletes, I think, on offense. Bryce Perkins, you know, at quarterback, he, he plays it pretty well. So, yeah, give me Virginia, Virginia. I believe, is down six defensive backs at this point. Um, if they were playing anybody but Georgia Tech, I would maybe say that was a concern, but Georgia Tech, like, pretty much literally can't pass. So, I don't really... <laughs> I mean, you know, seems detrimental to an offensive engagement, right? Yeah. And I don't know how you exploit defensive backs being out if you can't, you know, complete a forward pass. Um, uh, Yeah. So I I just I don't really see a lot of trouble here for Virginia. Um, As usual for them, it's probably going to come down to um, Virginia Tech at the end of the year. Uh, It's looking increasingly that way. So. Uh, uh, best. I know that's going to make my uh, Cavalier fan friends uh, a little nauseous uh, with nerves, <laughs> but you know, I mean, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I, I don't anticipate them having a lot of trouble here, and I don't want to watch a second of this football game because it's going to be gross. Um, <laughs> like, and I, and I will watch a gross football game now, which will actually lead us nicely into the next one. And and really, besides Louisville-Miami, the only other game that intrigues me a ton and has for a while now is Wake at Virginia Tech. Because, you know, it, it, we're on the five-year anniversary, though, if you remember, and I will never forget because I, I have a strong affinity for this football game. The 0-0, the 0-0 tie. I just, like, I love that game so much because... A lot of times you think a game's going to be really terrible and you hear people saying it's terrible and you you rewatch it and you're like, well, it's bad, but it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. This game was pretty much the worst thing I'd ever seen. And it really lived up to the billing um, of how gross everybody was saying it is. You had Frank Beamer with the arms raised and everything like that. Um, it, was so, it was so wonderful. Uh, go check out David Hale's piece if you haven't at ESPN. He, uh, he interviewed me for a little bit of an oral history of that game because he knows how much that I love it. And I was by far the least, uh, the least famous person in that oral history, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I love that that's how I'm known for it. It's like, oh, that 0-0 game. We got to ask Brownlow about that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst game that we can think of? Hey, Brownlow, do you have 20 minutes to talk to me about it? Yeah, we, we chatted about that one for a hot minute, but it was wonderful. It. it was wonderful and it was just perfectly awful. And I, I love it. This game will not be 0 0 five years out. Dave Clawson has um, converted his essentially like high schoolish offensive line from that season into pretty good. You had a great offensive team now. And I would have never said that five years ago, but here we are. And Virginia Tech seems to have figured things out offensively, kind of. I, I don't is Hendon Hooker gonna play in this game? I, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen anything about I that. I have not seen well, and in all honesty, I haven't looked uh for anything about that. If he plays, you know, I think that he offers that running dynamic that we saw when Virginia Tech beat Miami. Um but uh <laughs> yeah, I think it, this is gonna be a, a fun game in a different kind of way, just because uh, you know, they're gonna put points up, both teams probably. Um you know, I think Virginia Tech does want to slow the game down a little bit uh, more than uh, Wake Forest does because Wake Forest, oh, you yeah. know, they they have a second basketball team basically, and I mean that because their wide receivers are gigantic. You know, they're six five, six five, six seven at on the outside. It's crazy, <laughs> uh, so they're going to want to throw the ball up, uh, you know, to them and, and make some plays like that. And yeah, you know, Clawson he's a he's a slow build coach and like all the stops, yeah. but if you give it time. You know, it's like a what was that in uh in Remember the Titans? I have a six play offense. It's like Novocaine, just give it time, it's gonna work. 
That's the same thing with Dave Clawson. <laughs> Give him four, five, six years. It might look ugly, but the plan is out there in the future. You just have to stay that course, even when it looks like it's not working, because then you get to a point like now when it's just like, yes, Wake Forest is clearly the second best team in the ACC this year. You would have never thought that, especially when you're looking you know, back at your favorite game, that 0-0 regular season or uh, regulation <laughs> tie from five seasons ago. So, yeah, you know, it, it'll be an interesting game for me. Uh, I still think that uh, Wake Forest, they just they have a little bit of something special going this year. No, I don't think that they're going to beat Clemson because, duh. But I, in this game, I think that they have enough to beat Virginia Tech. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right. Um, it looks like from uh, my quick Twitter search that Hendon Hooker was kind of close to playing against Notre Dame, but Justin Fuente couldn't quite make himself pull the trigger, as he put it, just because he wasn't quite ready. Um, and obviously, he gives them a way different uh, passing threat than Quincy Patterson does. Yeah, he He's a good runner, but he he's not nearly as dangerous a passer as Hendon Hooker is. And, you know, that does make their offense a little bit more dangerous. Wake's defense isn't great. Um, missing Justin Stranad now, and they've got some injuries in there, you know, all across their defense. And, but, you know, it, it, the, Virginia Tech's going to have to get stops. And my thing is, too, like Bud Foster had this great game plan for Notre Dame, right? Like they were super ready for that game. They, they really played well defensively. But, you know, to have a week to scheme for this one, and, and it, it, like you said, it's a totally different offense. They're going to run a ton of plays. It kind of affects their yards per play average, but they'll put up yards, they'll put up points, um, and they want to go fast. Um, it, it's tough, but Virginia Tech is like the dumbest team in this league to figure out. Like, literally, even dumber than Miami to figure out. Like, how? <laughs> I, they don't make any sense. They don't. They don't make any sense. Like, this team, I know that Ryan Willis was a quarterback, right? But, like, this team got steamrolled at home by a Duke offense that I've, I've watched all season, and it is not, trust me. Uh, it's not that great. No. And so, like, I, I, this team makes no logical sense from week to week to me. And to count Virginia Tech out of the coastal race would be incredibly premature at this point, um, obviously, with, you know, Virginia left and everything else. So but this is a big one for me. I mean, if they can if they can figure out a way to sneak this one out at home, um, it, things suddenly get way, way more interesting in the coastal, I think. But I, I, I'm with you on Wake and I, I'm a believer. But this this is a game I've had circled for a couple of weeks now for Wake as in terms of like, OK, all right, y'all, like now's the time. Like Clemson is whatever. Like I know people keep talking about that. They're like, well, when Wake plays Clemson, I'm like, come yeah, on. Like this, like, but this to me is the one that I'm like, all right, like let's let's see what you're all about, Wake. Like let's see, let's see what you can do in Blacksburg in a game that of course they could lose, um, but should win. So yeah, this is a big this is a big show me game to me for Wake, and um it would be a huge one for Virginia Tech to pick up, certainly. Um but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't quite talk myself into being sure about anything when it comes to Virginia Tech. On my Halloween podcast episode uh, last week, uh, I, I sort of said they're like Michael Myers to me because every time we all think they're dead every season, Virginia Tech, they find they just they're they not they're not dead. Um, and they come back to life and it's like, wh- how? Where did this come from? Yeah, so. I mean, and there there is that spirit in some of the in some of the teams especially in the coastal division where you know like they could be oh, yeah. dead or i could have just shot them in the chest with a point blank range with a shotgun and walked out of the room and i don't know maybe i missed them i don't know you know because you didn't actually have the con- confirmation of kill on the screen so who knows um but yeah i mean Virginia Tech, they're kind of all over the place. And I think that just Wake Forest is a little bit more settled uh, with who they are. And yeah, you know, this is a special season for them. And I think that their special season continues. Yeah, I, I, you know, selfishly, I'd like to see it. I enjoy that team. And 
um, it's a great story for sure, but it'll, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, that, oh boy. Cause we already talked about, about y'all's game. So that, that gets us to a game of interest in my area, a game that like, and I'll, exp- I know that probably like five people care about this, but it's whatever. Just from an hourly perspective this week, I had to choose basically between covering, you know, the home openers for every basketball team I cover or covering Clemson NC State and maybe like cutting a basketball game. And just and I told my I told people at work, I'm like, well let me, let me, let me see how state looks against Wake Forest. They've had a bye. Maybe they show maybe they show some signs of life. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they did not. Um <laughs> They did not show signs of life. Uh, And so for me, like, look, I know it's a night game at Carter Finley. I know everything that surrounds that. I I was there personally when they beat Florida State in that exceedingly dumb game back in like, what was it? 2012, I want to say. Um, The the game where Jimbo Fisher officially confirmed he did not trust EJ Manuel. Um, So, yeah, I, I... I'm not. (laughs) I understand what Carter Finley and NC State have been in the past and what they've represented. I mean, heck, even a couple years, like back in Dave Dorn's, I believe, first season, I want to say, they hosted Clemson in a night game on like a Thursday night and they gave them a hard time. um, And Clemson was way better than them. So crazier things have happened, right? But at the same time, like you just look at what NC State is right now on offense, especially the injuries that they had on an already sort of thin roster. And, and you just go, I don't, I, you just don't really see a path. You know, I just don't really see a path to this being interesting at all. No, me either. Uh, unless it is, you know, what we've seen a little bit earlier this year of Trevor Lawrence maybe being a little bit cocky with his arm talent and just trying to fit a ball into a window that's not there just because I'm Sunshine Lawrence. I'm going to be the number one overall draft pick whenever I go to the league. And, you know, I got an arm like that because. Yeah, I mean, so maybe he does some of those things and turns the ball over a little bit. Um, but I think that he's even had that uh, go out of his game for the rest of this season and everything. So, I, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. Uh, you know, I would say I don't even know what the line is in this game. I would just off the top of my head say Clemson by five touchdowns just to be conservative. But I don't really see any way absent. I mean – NC State would have to win the turnover battle by four. Yeah, that's or more to like make. Well, it, it would have to play out. I think kind of similarly to the way that the North Carolina game did. But to me, the biggest difference in that game, and you know, no disrespect to, I know Devin Leary is a young kid, and um, he's got a lot of other personnel issues around him on that offense that he can't do anything about. But they have a Sam Howell. At quarterback and NC State does not have a Sam Howell at quarterback. So, you know, if you're going to beat that team, you got, you got to have a quarterback that can make some throws and make plays. And, you know, even when Clemson does help you. And I don't know that NC State has that offensively right now. They just their, their O-line isn't great. They can't run the football as a result of that. And and the pass game is like just nothing is good. They've played the worst pass defenses in, in the league in the past few weeks and, and gotten obliterated. In, it has not mattered. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, bad. and so I just, you know, for me, I just can't, I just can't see it. Um, NC, I will say, NC State's defense has had a bad turnover luck, so that did kind of, um, make my ears perk up when you mentioned that because we have seen Clemson have some of those issues at times with turnovers and Trevor Lawrence, like you said, um, they've had some bad turnover luck and they are better than their numbers would indicate because they've just keep being put in terrible positions with with turnovers and with poor offensive play, um. 
so mate, you know, uh, 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 again, I'm really stretching here. I'm stretching. I'm stretching real hard to try to think of literally anything. Um, what was sort of your thoughts on the college football playoff, like that initial top five? Because like, I just I, people were saying, oh, they're totally going to put Clemson five. And I'm like, no way. No way will they do that. And they did. And they did do that. Uh, I was I was pretty surprised. I don't know. I don't know what you thought and if you thought it was justified or, or what you were thinking about. That. I laughed. I openly <laughs> guffawed here in my house. I was just yeah. like, okay, because I was watching the basketball games. So I'm like, why is this game not taking so or, you know, not starting? So, oh, it's going to be the reveal. Oh, they're going to put Clemson fifth. I'm going to tweet about it and it's going to be hysterical. And that's exactly what they did. And I mean, it, it's honestly just comedy because if anything has been proven over the course of time, these early rankings mean less than nothing. Like, you know, it, the, the, the committee will redo the rankings from top to bottom, you know, at least at the, you know, the top four, top five, they'll redo them every single week with no, like, you know, prior precedence or, Oh, we had this, or we evaluated this, this week. So, or last week this way. So we had to do that consistently in the evaluation the next week, they're flying by the seat of their pants. So whatever they're doing this, for reasons like this, so that you and I or other people on microphones or on, in the blogosphere will talk about it or write about it and have these things. So I just looked at it like pure comedy and I laughed and it was funny because whatever. And I, and rightfully, I understand how Clemson fans are upset because, yeah, duh, we are the reigning champions and we blew out Alabama by four touchdowns last year. Yada, yada, yada. I don't really care. Like if everybody if the teams win who are going to win, it's going to work itself out. Like Alabama and LSU play this week. They're two and three. They won't both be up there next week because somebody's going to win because there's no more zero, zero ties. I know to hurt your you know heart by saying that, but oh, it's true. Man. I know, I know. I'm sorry to be the one to break that news to you, but it's, you know, that's the case. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like I said, I looked at it like comedy and I laughed about it and I thought it was funny. Yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 I'm with you. Like overall, I just thought it was funny. I, I honestly would have thought it was kind of funnier, especially because if there's any fan base that's more sensitive than Clemson fans, it's Alabama fans. If they had done that to Alabama, because oh, yeah. at that point, because like, honestly, the way they explained it, it would have made more sense. Because, look, I mean, Clemson's strength of schedule is better than Alabama's. Just straight up, it is. And if you're going to put Penn State ahead of Clemson for that reason, you can't really justify not doing the same with Alabama. Like, you just can't. Because it's like, I think the winning percentage is like Clemson's is like uh, 0.47 and, and Alabama's like 0.4. Like, that's not, that's a pretty significant difference at this point. Like, so that to me was like, okay. And then, and then they asked the committee about it and they were like, well, we just think Alabama's better than Penn State and Clemson. And it's like, oh, right, y'all are y'all are bringing back the because we said so mm-hmm. thing. Like, you have all these metrics, these metrics and everything else. And like, you know, now y'all are just going, uh, yeah, we can't really justify this, but we just think it is. Okay, cool. Great. Like, what are we even doing? Like, why are we even using exactly. reason and logic exactly. to just... What are we even doing? Why are we even here? Like, it just, you know, it's it's a thing. Just, you know, they figured out, hey we can do a thing and put it on television and make money and get ratings. So we're going to do that. And I mean, like, it's just, it is what it is, you know, like it's, there is no real rhyme or reason. Um, I would love it if, uh, if they would have had Alabama at five, you know, and, Oh, I was going to ask you, did you see that tweet from Clemson's official football account talking about how, no. Oh, it was beautiful. Cause they were talking about the strength of schedule and they said, yeah, every team, that Clemson has played this year was 500 or better when they played them. 
which includes Georgia Tech oh. because Georgia Tech, it was <laughs> oh, the first God. game of the year. And I'm like, really, bro? You're going to lean on a Georgia Tech 0-0 uh, schedule or a record in the opener as like boosting you up? Come on. Hey, man, they hadn't lost. They had <laughs> Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, they were 500 or better. I'm like, like, come on. Like, the, I mean, I was born at night, but not last night, Clemson. Like, come on. <laughs> hey, you know what? The math checks out. Really? <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess. I mean, what's what's funny to me, too, is like, look, Penn State does have like better wins than the other two do. Not, you know, it, it does like just but it's just like some of these Big Ten teams, I, I, I kind of marvel at it. And and I think this is where this is something the ACC's really been missing out on the last couple of years with its like, quote unquote, name programs being down is like there's a lot of benefit of the doubt, I feel like, being given to some programs it obviously we know in the SEC, but even in the Big Ten that have just turned out to be trash. Like just Michigan State is trash. I'm sorry. They are not good. And so like to hold that up is like, well, they beat this team. Like somebody used that as like, well, Penn State beat Michigan State. I'm like, so <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> like, OK, Iowa, sure. Like, yeah, and you know, whatever. But they also had a close game against Pitt, by the way, to be fair. Yep. And also and theirs was at home as opposed to Clemson being on the road at North Carolina. Like, you know, so what are you? And, and, and the only reason theirs wasn't snugger is because Pat Narduzzi is a coward. So <laughs> there's. The- yes. Brownlow. I was not ready for that. I love it, dude. That I'm still no, you're right. No, you're right. I'm still furious about that. I have. I feel like I've brought it up on almost every podcast since because like that made me so angry. Like, dude, you're at their one yard line. You are the underdog. Like, just just go for it, man. Like, what are you even doing? Why are you kicking a field goal? You're the worst. But anyway. Like I hate that because he's a coward. Like you said, yeah. no, that was a, that was a terrible move. And yeah, I mean, the, I agree with you that some of the name quote unquote programs in the, in other conferences are getting the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, it is interesting to watch Michigan state because I mean, I'm a Detroit native. So I have friends from high school who went to Michigan state and Michigan and I have family members who went to Michigan. I was a Michigan fan growing up, but whatever. So like seeing them, like getting the benefit of the doubt, I'm like, since when, first of all, ever did that happen with Michigan state? And then like, Secondly, it's just like, okay, so they're still getting the like good feelings from beating number one Ohio State back in like 98 or something. Well, and I know that did happen even more recently than that. But like, bro, you have, you know, like these things from forever ago that are like booing how people are looking at it uh, and then spinning that forward. It'll be interesting because Miami goes to East Lansing to play Michigan State next year and watch them be a beast when Miami comes to town next season. Just, uh, and, and I mean, that's a personal viewpoint for me, but yeah, they're, they're struggling right now, but come next year, like things are going to get worked out. Well, you watch, you've watched enough Michigan state football over the years to know that's just sort of a place, you know, where teams go to watch their offense die slow and painful deaths at times. So true. Um, both their own offense and Michigan state's. <laughs> Yeah, it's just an offensive graveyard uh, indiscriminately. Like, yep, offense dead. But it just, it takes so long, I feel like, over the course of these seasons to realize, oh, wait, these teams are actually trash. And then, like, before you realize that, it's like, oh, there's there's still the benefit of having beaten those teams when they weren't trash. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know that I can. And the ACC just never has seasons like that. Like, they always take their L's early. And then it's like, this team is garbage. And then when you realize the team's not actually that garbage, it's too late. And they still have, like, the stigma of being trash. And that's it's like they go in the reverse order with it a little bit. The ACC always does. I don't know how that always happens, but it just does. Like people even thought Nebraska was good. Nebraska is terrible. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, 
to to further underscore the point, we're, we are recording this on November the 7th, talking about if teams are or are not trash and like a game from August or September and whether that, you know, proves that point. I'm like, we're in the last month of the season and still debating some of these things, which should otherwise have been proven, you know, either true or false. It's kind of crazy, but yeah. I mean, th- just thinking about some of the teams in the Big Ten that have gotten votes over this this year, like, like Michigan State did, Northwestern got preseason top 25 love they are just awful awful yeah maryland that was based on last year uh, totally yeah maryland ended up being terrible um you know it just it's it's like yeah i mean it just is like they just it just takes so long to realize these teams aren't actually good but by the time that people realize that it's too late so um yeah it's that's i don't know Uh, it'll work like if clemson wins out it doesn't matter like all of this is moot so um but like the Alabama LSU thing, though, I, I am still firmly of the belief that like if I guess two is going to play, it's looking like. But if he's limited in any way that that'll be used as a reason, especially if it's a close game um, and they lose like that'll just be used as a reason. And if LSU loses a close one with this with this with what they've done, like their schedule and the and like the teams that they've beaten, um, they'll end up they could end up getting a pass, too. So um, we'll see. I don't know that it's a decider obviously the winner feels way better about where they're at but i I don't i wouldn't count either of those teams out if they lose that game whatsoever yeah no i mean as long as the loser of this game doesn't lose anymore and ends the season with one loss it'll be really really hard to keep them out unless the chalk holds across the board and you have four undefeated conference champions and you're just like okay well you know um and then well yeah you'd have one loss LSU or Alabama, a one-loss Oklahoma because they lost already, which is crazy. Um, so, I mean, it could get a little congested uh, down the way. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think that this is a decider game for either of those teams just because of their cachet coming in. It's weird. I do – you know, Clemson always messes around for the first half of a season, and that's just sort of what they do. And in, in a weird way, I do feel like that North Carolina game sort of snapped them – into focus and, and the fact that they have kept dropping in the polls, I think has just been just like manna from heaven for Dabo because now he has something that he can use to get his guys focused. Like, Hey, they don't respect you. You got to go out every week and just destroy everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's probably the mode that they'll be in. Um, it, because that's just the mode they've been in since that North Carolina game. And I have to think that those two things are connected in some way, as much as they try to downplay it and act like that they don't care. We know that they care. Of course, you know, and it's just like the thing where coaches say, oh, we don't, you know, listen to anything in the press, but you made a point to talk to people in the press who said a specific thing about a specific player for the last couple of weeks. Oh, weird. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't listen. You know, it's just like Steve Spurrier back in the day. No, we don't think about um, margin of victory when we're beating everybody 84 to zero in, you know, 1996. Like we're just doing what we do. Lies like whatever. Just, yeah. I mean, really, State should feel pretty good if, um, like, one of the coach's kids doesn't get uh, a snap before, like, the fourth quarter. So One of the coach's kids or a Herb Street. <laughs> right. I, I should just lump him in there, yeah. A, a Herb Street or a Venables or a Sweeney. Yeah. If you can keep them out off the field until the fourth quarter, you've done your job. And really, <laughs> I guess really only two teams have done that. And I think it's North Carolina and Texas A&M. So, yeah. um, you know. Sure, I would have grouped those teams together at the beginning of the year. Speaking of a team that's gotten like insane benefit of the doubt yeah. in Texas A and M, my God, yeah, um, great losses though, amazing losses. They had. Oh, they were so close. They were so close. 
I still don't know why Jimbo Fisher tries at all. I wouldn't if I had that much money guaranteed to me. I would not try at all. Look, they're losing all these games close. So, like, are we sure that he's trying? No, that's he's like he's recruiting. He's calling the plays and everything. And like, yeah, I'm doing what I would otherwise do. But like, where's the evidence that he's like putting in extra or doing anything other than what he natively would do? I don't see it. That's a good point, actually. And like considering he didn't try like most of his entire final season in Tallahassee, like he's just on like a, a quite a run here of not having to try and earning an insane amount of money. So, you know, America. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I almost right? responded the way that I always do to that. And I'm, I'm glad that I didn't. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's implied. I feel like, you know, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice work. Oh, you know, it's nice work if you can get it, though. And, t- you know, I, I guess Texas A&M doesn't really care either way. So good on them. Uh, must be nice. Have that much money. Just floating around at your fully disposal. guaranteed yeah maybe maybe the fsu people should ask them for like a loan all things considered um <laughs> like y'all have a couple extra mil just laying around so we can hire new staff and keep paying willie taggart um i mean yeah you know like whatever we can just call somebody up in new york we can artificially inflate the price of oil you know <laughs> point, or you know a little bit to give you guys that little extra wiggle room and then kick that those dividends over our way thanks I mean, like, let's be honest. It's like in their best interest, right? They need somebody in there that'll compete with Clemson in some way. Don't they want to knock Clemson off the perch? Like, come on. Like, just I mean, worse arguments have been made. Oh, God. Um, oh, boy. The last game of the day. ACC Network. That's probably one of the only times you'll see Notre Dame football on ACC Network. Uh, oh, wow. Notre Dame, the five-eighths member of the ACC football, traveling to Duke. Oh my goodness! Wow, it, that's crazy. I don't. There's not a lot of weekends in the triangle where you have multiple top uh, fifteen teams coming to town. But um, this is that weekend. <laughs> that's about all I can say about it in a good way <laughs> from the triangle team's perspective. Because look, Notre Dame isn't good. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. I mean, they're not bad. They're just not great. And I thought that they would be a, a tick better than they've been. Um, nothing wildly crazy. I mean, they had like a 98, I think, percent win expectancy after that Virginia Tech game. Virginia Tech, they just, that's what they do. Like, they get games into absurd situations that they have no business. Like, like the statistics would not indicate that the game should have been close or whatever, and it is, and that's just sort of what Virginia Tech does. But at the same time, like, needing a two-minute drill to beat that team. And a, did you hear what Brian Kelly said after? That was like Ian Book's first successful two-minute drive touchdown, either in practice or a game. Um, I make it a point not to listen to anything that Brian Kelly says because I hate Brian Kelly and will never forget that he sent <laughs> Declan Sullivan to his certain death in the name of practice yeah. video, uh, which is a very serious kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, I just... Uh, no, I don't pay attention to him at all. Uh, so I miss that. But that's kind of funny because for an offensive guru coach, again, you know, we spoke about that with Willie Taggart and the failing of Florida State's offense, you know, and he was an offensive guru, quote unquote, supposedly. If you're an offensive guru coach, how have you not figured out a situation to have your quarterback be successful in this way ever in the history of life until now? Like that. I, that looks. Yeah. I mean, it's like you know, you have one finger pointing out and four fingers pointing back. That kind of like is what it feels like to me. Because like, yeah, I get that you're making a point about Ian Book, but that also has to reflect poorly on you as a coach. No, I'm so fascinated by that quote on like several levels. Like, first of all, why would you say that? Right. <laughs> like that's horrible. And also, how is that possible? Like in practice, 
Come on. You can't even hit the quarterback at practice. Right. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> half the time you're even doing two minute drills on air in practice. You didn't get that done on air. Like, how is that even possible? I'm like, I'm super fascinated by that now. But then at the same time, like it also explains a lot when it comes to Ian Book. So it's like, OK. And that offense. Yeah. Like you said, like, dude, like that's just ugh. Um they got it done, but like I don't think anybody was super inspired by that. And they got shellacked by Michigan. But like the problem for Duke, and I think we saw this play itself out against North Carolina, is that, you know, as good as Duke's defense is, and I do think it is good, it, it the, you just can't count on that offense to move the football consistently. And and you can't I love Quentin Harris the kid, but you can't count on him to to make the kind of throws that scare defense. And, and Notre Dame, with all its flaws, does, I think, still have a good defense. And it's just I, I do think this might be, you know, a snug-ish game, but I don't, I, I don't see, I don't know if I see a path for Duke here. Honestly, I think they would need a lot of help. So here. what's snug-ish? Like ten? <laughs> well, the well, the line is eight. Notre Dame by oh, eight. Wow. So I guess that's snug-ish. Oh, well, no, yeah, yeah. they just is snug. Okay. Um, yeah, I just, you know, the the thing that always pops out to me when anybody goes to Duke, like Miami will for the season finale this year or the regular season finale, is the one time that Randy Shannon or Al Gold, and I forget which one of them, spoke about it being tough to play there because of the quote unquote long walk from the locker room to the <laughs> Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and that's really true. And I know people are like, Cam. They didn't really say that. Go look it up. Yes, they did on video. It's on YouTube. There's been transcriptions. Yeah, that was a thing that was put out there about uh, playing at Duke. So maybe the long walk to the locker room, to and from the locker room, uh, slows down Notre Dame a little bit and makes it a little bit closer. But yeah, I mean, I just don't think that Duke's offense really scares anybody. I think that Notre Dame has superior athletes pretty much across the board. I am not really a fan of uh, of their quarterback because I don't think that he's that great. Uh, but I did love that one pass that he threw to Trajan Bandy <laughs> for that touchdown in uh, 2017. That was awesome. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think that Notre Dame is going to win probably, you know, by a touchdown or so. Yeah, and I mean, look, just Duke, it's been pretty consistent for Duke, right? If they turn the football over, um, they have lost. I think pretty every FBS opponent they've have played, um, when they have turned the football over, like literally at all, oh, wow. um, they've lost. Yes, and that's not, that's a pretty... It's a pretty low bar, you know, like that's <laughs> that's just that's been the difference. And I mean, uh, like it, it, that's been the biggest difference, I think. Like they just they can't they can't win a game when they uh, when they don't when they turn the football over even at all. And I think uh, it's tough to imagine them not turning it over at all in this one. But that's, I think, what it would take. Um, I think their defense will keep them in this for some amount of time. But th- the dam will break at some point, I think. And um, this is that's just sort of. The story of Duke. It won't even have to be a damn, like you're saying. It's going to be a singular turnover, and then, oh, okay, we're done here. Like, so, but I think that that'll happen. You know, uh, Notre Dame, they do try to scheme up some defense, and they can put themselves in an advantageous situation to maybe get the ball uh, away from Duke, you know, one time, like you said, and that's pretty much the requirement for a win. So I think that can happen. Yeah, Duke's lost. Um, I'm looking at it now just to be sure I was right about this. Uh, their last two games, uh, both losses. Obviously, they lost eight turnovers. They've lost 14 in their last in their last three losses. Yeah, because they lost six to Pitt, five to Virginia, three to Carolina. They actually broke even in turnover margin against Carolina, uh, three each. But you know, like I said, they just when they get turnovery, they get like real turnover. I was not expecting and, that. You said eight in two games. Wow! Wow! Yeah, wow. yeah, and you you. 
you're just not going to win many football games doing that. I mean, and Duke is a team that relies on not beating itself. You know, that's the old cliche with Duke, but there's truth to it because they're, uh, they are going to have talent deficiencies at certain spots, especially offensively, and they can't afford to put their defense in bad spots. They, they can't afford to make those kinds of mistakes. And that's just, that's what they've been doing. I mean, look, Cutcliffe after, you know, a week to prepare and everything else, I'm sure that they'll have something in the tank and, and be able to maybe they'll break that option back out again. I, I was I've been missing that for this, this offense right now, because just having Quentin Harris sort of drop back and being like a drop back passer. That ain't that ain't it. That's just not, <laughs> you know, but like I mean, I, maybe if we do it enough, he can change his stripes. You know, it could be one of those kind of things like we're just going to keep doing it. And all of a sudden it's going to work. Right. No, no, no. Anybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that, that. I God, I feel like that's been the story of so many ACC offenses this season. Of like, there have been some teams that have been able to scheme around their own deficiencies, and then there's some other teams that you're like, why are you running your offense in spite of knowing you have this deficiency, as if you don't have this deficiency? Um, it's just it's mind boggling, really. Um, but yeah, that's that kind of sums it up, I guess. That uh, that that game could be interesting, but probably won't be. Um, it, it's definitely I feel like it's definitely transitioning to basketball season in these parts, even though there is some excitement around like Carolina football. I think that, you know, the games have certainly been interesting, if nothing else. But like everybody's sort of leaning towards that at this point, just leaning into basketball season because that's what we do around here. But uh, yeah, and I was going to say, you know, the Duke football team is kind of the inverse of the basketball team where the basketball team obviously you know Duke basketball is pretty amazing and I hate to say that because I hate them but they will you know they'll put pressure on you and make you turn the ball over and all of a sudden you know a four nothing run turns into a 14 nothing run and you're calling a timeout but like the Duke football team is like no, no no we need to not turn the ball over ever at all because we are that team that the other team is going to pray again upon if we turn the ball. Yeah, no, that's actually a good way of putting it too. Uh, it is, it's, they just, yeah, they, they have runs put up on them and not the other way around. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Um, but I, I, I am on a strict, like I did, I have covered basketball a week, but I'm on a strict like basketball moratorium in this space until like December because I just, maybe I'll do some ACC big 10 challenge stuff, but no, like, Stop encroaching upon my foot. Like I can't juggle these two things in my brain at the same time. And I don't appreciate this encroachment upon like my, my, the use of my brain at this point. Like I can't handle it. But it's tougher for you because, you know, you're in the triangle. So you're up there in North Carolina where, you know, it's, it's a hoop state and, you know, basketball is religion for everybody and every fan base and, and things like that. So it's a little bit tougher for you than it is for me because like, I mean, most Miami football fans are Duke basketball fans, so like they're. Is that is that is? Oh, really? I was curious, like who they gravitated towards. I mean, it's yeah, it's a it's a thing where we have you know so many people who are like multiple uh, fans, or their 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 fandom extends to multiple teams depending on the sport. So you will get a lot of you know Miami football, Duke basketball, Carolina basketball. Um, there's even some like a uh, little Kansas basketball in there, things like that. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, those people who might have moved around a little bit when they yeah. were kids and they're like, OK, I, I latched on to this team here and this team then and this team then and kind of put it together. Whereas, you know, I was not a Miami fan at all until I went to college there. And now I'm just like, OK, I bleed orange and green. Like, what are you talking about? And everybody's like, cool, I'll see you on Saturdays. <laughs> but during the week, you know, I'm going to root for whichever other, you know, sport team I want. To. Well, aside from y'all having Chris Likes, who I love uh, beyond words, um, the most exciting thing I can say about Miami basketball is that I was very psyched to see that they have a guy named McGusty on their team. Like that's an all name contender for me early in this ACC season. Um, 
<laughs> okay, I could take that. I could take that. Yeah, you know, he's he's pretty good. He played at Oklahoma. Um, oh my god, he know, played at Oklahoma, had... and his name is McGusty. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He uh, he had like a very nice freshman season, and then his stats uh, atrophied to nothing because his sophomore year there was the force of nature known as Trey Young out there as a freshman, so he didn't get the ball at all, uh, basically. And then he transferred over to Miami, and he's going to be one of our starters and probably one of our best players. So, uh, yeah, Mugusty will be, a, you know, a key guy for Miami as they try to, you know, rebound from a very tough 2017-18 basketball – or 18-19 basketball season. Well, y'all take care of Chris Likes down there because I love him so much. Um, no, he's fun. He's fun. Yeah. Uh, this has been really fun, uh, Cam. Thanks so much for joining me, and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. Definitely, Lauren. It was a good time uh, here. I appreciate the invite, and hopefully I'll see you soon. No, I'd love that. We're definitely going to have to have you back, and I'll see the rest of y'all early next week. I don't stick. Doesn't stick? No. It's too bad. I can't stick, Mommy. I don't think it's a sticker anyway. Can you pick some? You want to pick some games for me? Yeah. All right. But but you got to don't stay out the car. Okay. Florida State or Boston College? Hmm, Boston College. Okay. You might be right about that. I do have Boston College. Georgia Tech or UVA? UVA. Louisville or Miami? Miami. I do have Miami. Aww. Wake or Virginia Tech? I did my Okay. Notre Dame or Duke? Duke. Clemson or NC State? NC State. Whoa, that would be a huge win. All right, buddy. Have a good day at school. Bye. Can you say bye? Bye. Bye.